Introducing your starting lineup for the NBA's Most Valuable Podcast. He's a 5'10 forward out of Carleton University. Give it up for Bradford. Welcome back to the NBA's Most Valuable Podcast. I can just say right now, we are hype. We are hype. Uh, Jeff, are, are you hype? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we, we decided to record the podcast after Game 3 because we thought that this game was a very important game. Obviously, if we were down 3-0, we would have a lot of things to talk about. Um, but if we won, you know, there would be some elements that we could talk about how they can improve throughout the series. But we did not. We did not expect an ending like that. Oh my wow. gosh, man! So let's just like go go through like this game in general. Like we're talking about Raptors Celtics, of course. So of course. Th- this game was like really scrappy, just in general throughout the whole mm-hmm. game. You got guys like Pascal Siakam struggling in the first half of this game, mm-hmm. getting into foul trouble early, and missing a lot of shots early on. And then guys like Norman Powell couldn't really get it going either. And then all of a sudden you see Kyle Lowry. He played 47 minutes tonight, just taking it to the rim, bullying any defender in his way. And, man, the fact that he had to play 47 minutes is crazy, but that, game, that game-winning shot assisted by Kyle Lowry on in the inbound. Like, oh, do we want, we want to break down that play right now, or do we want to go through the game? Yeah, or? let's do it. Let's do it. Run, run, yo. Pull up the play and then like break break it down like b-ball breakdown well, style. Well, <laughs> high expectations, high bar there because you know b-ball breakdown. He's the go to that. But with that play, you know, it was a set play, zero point five seconds left. You know, we got the ball, the possession. Um, they they sub in Taco Paul. Uh, he's like what seven four seven five. He probably, I think he's always seven five seven five seven five. And his wingspan and everything. And Nick Nurse that's a play. Um, I actually thought there was it was a play was gonna be for uh, Fred Van Fleet. Um, but Kyle Lowry, the leadership, the vision, and he throws this pass over Taco Fall. You need, that's the, that's very important to this because Taco Fall could have easily tipped this. Um, behind the play, which I didn't notice until later on, Marcus Saul set the pick and it was just a perfect, like the pick was just good enough that there was enough space for OG Adenobi to catch the ball and release the shot in less than 0.5 seconds with Jalen Brown, uh, Brown chasing, like going for that block. And he was like seconds away, like milliseconds away from slapping it. But he got it over Jalen Brown and got the game-winning shot. And of course, my, first of all, I just want to say a funny note. It's so funny seeing OJ and nobody barely react. That's just like who he is, right? He hit the shot. He's like, oh, you know, it's a casual shot. Not like it's one of the biggest shots in Raptors history or anything. Um, and the team's celebrating. And that is just how you win a playoff game. Like, that was just amazing. Everything about that play is magical. You know, we can argue. I don't think it's appropriate to argue right now because we'd be. Uh, it's a bit too early, but some people already talked about how like this is almost better than the Kawhi shot. Whoa, we'll take time whoa, to... whoa, whoa, okay, chill. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, exactly. You need to chill on that. Yeah, that's, I've seen some tweets like that, but that's that's overall... a series-winning shot. Like they got to chill yeah. on that. But in some ways, that's a more difficult shot. That's what they were arguing. But we'll talk about. It. We're, that's not important right now. We just we're we're in the series still. It's two-one. Momentum's on us. OG, great shot. And we won a tough game despite the challenges. 
the circumstances. And that's what playoff basketball is all about, right? You know, things are not always going to go your way. You're not going to always play the way you think the people are playing. Defenses change. Um, sometimes players struggle. It's about the determination. And I'm very proud of the Raptors today. Um, and uh, hold on the rest of the series. What do you think? So if, if we're looking at the stats of this game, yeah. you know, Van Fleet, shot 40% from the field. He still dropped 25, which is pretty decent. Five for 13 from three. That's pretty decent as well. Kyle Lowry carried us this game, man. I mean, he, he shot 56.5% from the field. He shot a two for eight from three, which isn't great, but hey, man, we got over the hump. And Pascal Siakam really turned it around in the second half with 16, finishing with 16. And when you look at the box score, man, the big, the big thing that I see anyway is Jason Tatum, 5 for 18 from the field, 27.8%, 15 points. What, what did you see from the Raptor defense that sort of shut down Jason Tatum in this game? Well, obviously, he's the main guy. And uh, the past two games, like, he's obviously been winning the, the battle. And that's what the NBA is all about, you know, at the end of the day. Like, people look at the matchups, and the big matchup going into the series was obviously Tatum versus Siakam. And... Um, you know, I think that Tatum really elevated while so far Siakam hasn't shown that he was he's able to carry the load of being the guy yet. There's still time, you know, but so far Tatum's winning that matchup. Uh, but the thing is, you know, with Nurse, um, he's able to make defensive adjustments. I don't think that he's going to be able to make the defensive adjustments that he made with Giannis last year because Giannis had more of a limited game while Tatum can stretch the floor. Tatum can hit the three. Um, but they still did a good job. They put several bodies on him. Um, and Tatum himself, even during the regular season, was talking about, like, the work, like we were talking about it earlier in the uh, earlier podcast, that, like, the Raptors are the matchup, personally. Uh, so if there was any teams to, like, kind of, like, have him, like, struggle a little bit, um, uh, it would be the Raptors. So I do have to say, like, Tatum, he's really, he really has shown a lot for me. And so far, like in the playoffs and this bubble, like he is a superstar. So uh, the Boston Celtics really have one in Tatum. But uh, right now, the Raptors, the best they can do is just kind of like just make him a little uncomfortable and like get in his face a little bit. But um, he's going to get his points. It's the efficiency that we need to make sure that like stays low so we have a chance there. Um, and then obviously, Siakam has to uh, uh, elevate his game for sure. I'll tell you what, man, Siakam, his offense has been off, but we never talk about his defense. The way he played defense on Tatum in this game, particularly in the clutch, super, super important for this Raptors team to pull out the victory. I mean, you just see Siakam using his legs and his arms and getting close enough to where he's not fouling, but close enough to where he can contain that length. And I really think Pascal and OG as well have done such a phenomenal job on Tatum in this game in particular. And it's going to be important for the Raptors moving forward to contain a guy like Tatum, because if you see this game besides Tatum, besides Tatum, really it's just Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker that's providing the scoring. Marcus Smart finally came back down to earth after two spectacular first, like first and second games from three. He only shot two for nine. So that's, that's what the Raptors are banking on. They've been playing off smart this whole series, hoping that he can miss some shots, and it happened. And I think the most puzzling thing about this game in general is how Brad Stevens went to Ennis Cantor. Ennis Cantor didn't play at all in this series until the third quarter of this game, and he was a complete like minus on the floor. He was minus four in four minutes, and yeah. that's because the Raptors just attacked him in the pick and roll, you know? He, he's not a very good defender laterally. So when they yeah. had Ibaka in the game, they were running that screen and roll, and it was money every single time. So I found that really puzzling that Brad Stevens actually went to a guy like Cantor. And we didn't know if Robert Williams was injured or not because he took a hard fall in the second game. But he did come back into the game later on, and we saw that he made a big impact. So I guess my question to you is, where do the Raptors go from here? I mean, they just hit a big shot to change the momentum of the series. What can they do to elevate their game? Because it was a win, but it was a really ugly win. Well, first of all, an ugly win is still a win. 
in the playoff. You know, it's not about how you do it. It's about getting the result. That speaks to the toughness and um, the heart that this team has um, and the, the championship experience. Um, going forward, though, we, we need Siakam to elevate his game offensively. You did touch on his defense, which is admirable, but with the type of um, offense that we need, like we need him to be a force. And, you know, at this point, it's not about like matching up against Tatum because I think, I think it's kind of safe to say that Tatum is better than uh, Siakam. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, it's a fair point. Um, I think that I've been proud of Siakam's uh, improvements over the years. Um, but we're starting to see, unless he makes another big jump in the offseason, but uh, starting to see where he, what type of player he can be. Um, he's got something to work on his uh, efficiency, obviously. Um, his shot choices, you know. He's, he's had some questionable shots throughout the series where I would be like, why can't you just use your speed and just drive them? You know, you got the, the speed, the length, you know, get a foul or mm-hmm. get the layup. You know what I mean? So that, Siakam has to elevate there. Um, so we, I, I'll always trust Kyle Lowry in yeah. being an important integral part and making, uh, being an impactful player on the, uh, for the team. I also trust Fred Van Fleet pretty well. Um, but it's also the big thing is also like the advantage, like the matchup, right? Like some people could argue that Celtics have the better starting five, but the Raptors have the deeper bench. Like we have more pieces off the bench who can make an impact. Um, of course, it's up to Nick Nurse and what he does, and I'm not going to doubt his his judgment on things. But I would definitely love to see Matt Thomas. Uh, like I think of him as like a very very like he's probably our best three point shooter. Like, yeah, like, um, 100%. I like Terrence Davis's energy whenever he gets on the court. Like, he's always going to be fighting and energy. He doesn't. He doesn't look rookie. Um, so, it's our key is making sure our bench um, outplays the Celtics bench while having our stars produce at a respectable level and not at an inefficient level. That's the key matchup. Um, we and as as discussed earlier, we need. To do our best to slow down Tatum, and if we slow down Tatum, I, like you said earlier, like we can bank on uh, Marcus, Marcus Smart not being like a consistent scorer, um, and Jalen Brown, it's a Jalen Brown how he wants to play, you know, because uh, he'll have to take the load with Tatum is neutralized. What do you think? I think this series is definitely going to be won by which role players contribute more. I wrote an article for Ball and Roll, a series preview to s- before the series started. And I mentioned that the X factors in this series would be Marcus Saul, OG Ananobi, and Marcus Smart. Those are three guys in the starting lineup for both teams that aren't necessarily consistent scoring options. And when you look at this game, Marcus Smart, he scored 11 points. And then Gasol and Ananobi combined 22 points. 22 points on pretty good efficiency as well from both of them. So I really like that they went to Gasol early to try to get his offense going. The shot hasn't been falling, but I guarantee you if his shot starts falling, the Raptors can really, really turn the tide in this series. And we even saw this from OG last game. Last game, OG had like, uh, he had more than 12 for sure, which is what he had this past game. But OG played really well in these last two games and he's being really active on defense too. And it just matters on who makes the more shots, whether it's going to be smart or it's going to be Gasol and Ananobi combined. Those guys are like the X factors of this team. The biggest concerns I have going into game four and five is are we going to have to play Kyle Lowry 47 minutes again in order to squeeze out a victory? Because, you know, I 100% trust Kyle Lowry in these situations and in this time of year, but at the same time, he's only human. He's, I think 34 years old going to 35 this year or 30, something like that. You, you said he played 47 minutes. That's insane for a player his age. Like, yeah, I know Kyle Lowry's built like a tank. Don't get me wrong, but he can also the style that he plays too. Like he uses his, his body, like the way he draws charges and how spicy he is on the defensive end. Like, it's going to tear his body some sooner or later. And not play the way he played this game for this entire series, which is a big, big question mark I'm going to have. 
for this team going forward. So the Raptors really have to find some production outside of Lowry and then Van Fleet. So I guess we look to Siakam to do that. But Jalen Brown and the Celtics have really had Siakam's number. Like I think just in general from watching this series, when I look at Pascal play, it looks like he's so one-dimensional on offense. Right. When he's not in transition and when he's posting up, it just looks really tough for him to get shots off. And especially I, when playing against physical defenders like a Jalen Brown or a Marcus Smart, it's difficult for him to get to his spots. And then when he's pulling up for the mid-range shots, I mean, that's just not his game right now. So right. it's going to be tough for the Raptors going on. I mean, they got the momentum, don't get me wrong. But they got to find some offense outside of Lowry and Van Fleet. So I'm, I'm looking at guys like Serge Ibaka right now, looking at Marcus Saul. He's had a lot of open looks that he could make. And I know he can make them, shot, them shots, but yeah. he needs to just hit those shots when they're there. And even a guy like Terrence Davis, if you put him in there for a couple of minutes, he didn't play today. Matt, Matt Thomas had an open look and he missed it. I don't know. You just got to find offense out of Lowry because this team isn't built to play isolation basketball. We don't have a dominant isolation score in the half court. We got to score by committee and yeah. we got to do that by getting crafty with our offense, whether it's running more pin downs. I really like that they went to the screen and roll a lot more um, on the pick and pod podcast. I kind of alluded to the fact that maybe the Raptors should move to more simple actions to get Siakam open and, you know, get him some easier shots to get his confidence going. And the Raptors did that in this game. So there are some encouraging signs, but there's also some caution and worry a little bit, but that doesn't really matter right now because they're in the series now. They've got a game and now they really got to lock in and see what they can do in the next one. The key thing is we talked about the matchup between Siakam and the Celtics. It's because they have a lot of wing defense, like good, good wing one-on-one defenders who can also like, who can match the speed of Siakam and also have the length and strength to match it. Even like if there's a mismatch, like a switch, and then Siakam's on Smart, Smart is not necessarily a mismatch, you know? He's going to be in your face. And with Siakam, like we talked about how like the Raptors, we talked about how the Raptors can't be an ISO team. I agree because like Siakam, our best player is not, like there's a difference between being a one-on-one player against some of the, the worst teams in the NBA. Yeah. But there's another team when you have an elite team like the Celtics with the defenders that they have and who can match the speed, you know? And I think that's what Siakam is struggling. And the thing is, like, he he really needs to improve his decision-making. Um, yeah. The way he plays, it, it's exciting when it works, like how spontaneous and how, like, wild he can be. But it also works it, against him, especially in a playoff setting against a good defensive team. So that's uh, like, I agree with 100% with what you're saying. This needs to be a team-focused offense. And I'm trusting Nick Nurse uh, to implement the best offense we can with our players and hope that our players can hit their shots. Yeah, so aside from that, I mean, we're on to game four. We're still alive in this series. Right. What a great shot by OG. I mean, I don't think it's, like, better than Kawhi's shot. Like, cause, <laughs> you know, like, I, I agree. I agree. Come on. Like Kawhi shot, it was in Toronto, game seven. I mean, it was a, it was a tie game, granted. So, like, it was going to go to overtime if it missed. But that shot is a, the first ever game seven series winning shot. Like, that's the shot that you practice in your driveway when you're playing basketball as a kid, you know, like game seven. And then, you know, for the series, that's, that's a shot that Kawhi hit. I mean, OG well, shot was good, but I don't know. What do you think? Okay. Well, okay. Okay. We'll discuss it more later on, but I do want to bring up the point. Devil's advocate, because at the end of the day, I agree with your assessment. But devil's advocate could be like, his shot was 0.5. At least with uh, um, Kawhi, he got to like set up like a way where he can find the shot to open up, you know, with a screen and cutting to the right. While OG like literally had to catch it and throw it. Some people don't even have the release fast enough to make it in 0.5 yeah. seconds, you know? Mm-hmm. And the pressure and having a very quick Jalen Brown rush at you, um, I don't care if you are an NBA player, like, that's still a tough shot. Like, just the fact that someone's running at you like that. Um, 
and the, the difficulty of the path. Like, I think that overall, like, that was a very, very tough shot. So, you know, we can debate about this another time. Yeah, exactly. I think this shot can can be up there with Kawhi if the Raptors can get it done this year. Then this shot is like completely magnified because it's like the shot of where course. it turned around yeah. the Raptors season. But I think in general, another observation I made in this game is that the Raptors in the first half, they just looked so defeated. Outside of Kyle Lowry and OG Ananobi, it seemed like the team was down. It seemed like, you know, Pascal was being kind of hesitant. Gasol was right. being a little, like, you know, just the whole team in general was kind of down outside of Lowry and Ananobi. And I felt like those were the two players that really believed we could win this game from, that, from the get-go. And yeah. now that OG's hit that shot, the team is like, the team's confidence is just going to skyrocket. So hopefully this is like the opening of the floodgates for just the Raptor offense and the Raptor threes. And if that really does happen, then we definitely got a series. So hope here's to hoping that that happens, but um, yeah, we're going to get into a little other NBA news. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but Steve Nash was hired as the Brooklyn Nets head coach this morning. Uh, Steve Nash is apparently he's been in the role in the running for the role for a while now. Sean Marks has been courting him and it was a complete like blindsiding move for a lot of NBA people because, you know, there were talks of like Popovich maybe moving from the Spurs to the Nets and, you know, trading some picks in order to get him. And there's also talks of like other players, like maybe Tyron, other, other coaches like Tyron Lou potentially coaching the team. Uh, so I'm gonna let you go first on this one. Uh, what were your reactions to Nash? Like, do you like this hiring? I think I like the hiring for this team. Um, the NBA is a very player-driven league, um, and um, we've seen good coaches be let go because it was the wishes of the players. Um, like, um, and I I see someone. Uh, like Kevin Durant, like that, he definitely had a big part of the decision of hiring Steve Nash with their relationship. And I think that like players really, it's easier for players to respect former players, especially a legend like Steve Nash. Um, Steve Nash, like we don't know a hundred percent how capable of a coach he is, but I put that when he was playing, he obviously had a very good IQ. Um, a great important thing that is um, I think that like it wouldn't impede in both KD and Kyrie's um, egos because mm -hmm. that, that, that's the biggest part of it um, Popovich would be the exception where I think that like they would respect Popovich's uh, word and vision because of the track record he's had and how much the players respect him but if you just had like um a good coach right um but he wasn't like he doesn't have a track record like Greg Popovich and he isn't the former player like Steve Nash like like for example I don't think Kenny Atkinson did anything to deserve the firing if you know what I mean yeah like when he was he was just a victim of this is what Katie and Kyrie want they wanted a player coach that like they can almost and especially we know about Katie's I mean, we, we can joke about Kate, who Katie is, the type of person Katie is as a, a person and his personality, but we can kind of see that, like, through the track of it, he's a bit on the soft side. So having a guy like Steve Nash, like, it's almost like having that friend relationship, which, you know, for a lot of places, that would be unprofessional, but for that team, I think it could work. Um, and uh, we'll definitely have to see. Like, we'll have to see how he, he handles in-game adjustments, uh, his def defensive schemes, um, but it's not the worst decision, I don't think, and I think it's worth trying. I think the team's talented enough that they won't be a bad team regardless, but uh, not bad of a hiring. I was definitely caught blindsided because uh, I know Steve Nash was working as a player development um, staff, I think, in Golden State. For the Warriors, so, yeah. yeah. For the Warriors, like a player consultant, and we know that we definitely know we have his, he has a relationship with Kevin Durant there. And I also learned today that he had a relationship with Kyrie Irving. He's worked out with him a few times in 2015 in New York. So 
it seems like they definitely respect Steve Nash. And how could you not? He's a two-time MVP. He's had multiple playoff runs. The greatest Canadian basketball player, you know, we've ever seen so far. We'll see if some guy like Jamal Murray can eclipse him. But Steve Nash in general, like, we don't know what you, – like you're saying, we don't know who he is as a coach. But just, you know, off the precedent of all these point guards, like Hall of Fame point guards that have sort of transitioned from that role of being a player to being a coach, it's been mixed – there's been, like, mixed reviews – you got guys like Isaiah Thomas and Jason Kidd who didn't really turn out to be that good of coaches. And then you got other guys like Mark Jackson. Uh, I can't really think of other ones on the top of my head, like Lenny Wilkins. There, there are some successes in this crop of like Hall of Fame point guards that turn into coaches, but there's also a lot of duds. So I think in general, you know, Steve Nash, will, I think he'll do good because he's got the team. He's got the players and I think the funniest thing out of all of this is that he has a clause in his contract apparently where he can get subbed into the game if they're like blowing out a team. Yeah. Like that's insane. That, I mean, I'm, I'm a big Steve Nash fan. I didn't know that. He's like 46 years old. So, I mean, I, it doesn't really matter at garbage time, but yo, I, I, I love me some Steve Nash, man. He, he was my favorite basketball player growing up. I wanted to be like Steve Nash and yeah, of course just seeing him in this role, like it was completely a shock to me just seeing it this morning and congrats to him. And hopefully we can see some, you know, some progression in his coaching career. We'll see how far he can go. Um, so now we can get to talking to a little bit more of the basketball side in terms of what's going on in the playoffs so far. Uh, let's start out with the Rockets and Thunder game that finished yesterday. Wow. I don't know if you saw that, but that yeah, absolutely. was a game. That was like classic Game 7. James Harden was classic James Harden in Game 7, you know, choking all these threes. He was getting locked up by Lou Dort. And Lou Dort, the guy who's like bricking so many threes throughout this entire series, he goes off for 30, 6 for 11 from deep. Like, wow. Such a great performance from him. And, man – the series comes to the, it like comes to that point where the Thunder need one shot to win. He puts it up and then Harden blocks it. Like, wow. wow. And man, like this is just another like part of the clutch moments we've seen in this playoffs. Obviously Luca versus the Clippers before they got eliminated. Like that was a crazy shot too. But this Thunder series went to seven and after the Rockets getting out to a 2-0 lead, it seemed like, they were going to close it out and then they came back. So, I mean, I just want to get your impressions on that game because there was a lot of flopping in that game too. Yeah. That's a big part of the story. Um, I, which there's a lot of shout outs and a lot of things I want to address. I'll, I'll start off with actually James Harden. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a guy who, you know, we, we, we go hard on him because of how he performed in the playoffs. Um, but I, I got to give him props for that block. That was a very clutch block, especially since he's a guy who's not necessarily known for his defensive game. Um, those moments matter for teams, you know? But for the team, like, to see that, like, your leader step up like that on the defensive end, who's not really known for that type of, uh, that type of part of this game, uh, that's very impressive. And um, uh, that, that could lead to some positivity for the next series. Um, but the bigger shout-out for me is obviously the OKC Thunder, what they've overcome, um, 0.5% chance of making the playoffs. Um, and I just want to say this straight up, like Chris Ball is a legend. The fact that people doubted that before is ridiculous. I've always been a big fan of this game, even like talking about Chris Paul versus Gary Williams. Chris Paul, I've always loved his game. The way he just slows down the game, it's so easy for him. The, the, the type of leader he is, um, his playmaking, his passing, his defensive leadership. Um, he's one of the best mid-range shots uh, in the league. Um, and he's just a clutch guy. And he's just a great leader to have. And to lead that young team to a game seven, absolutely impressive. And um, no one should ever disrespect Chris Paul again. Because I, I, anyone who does is just an idiot of the game. Um, 
more thoughts of the game, I would definitely say like that was definitely not the, the prettiest game. There were a, there was a lot of falling. I was actually kind of harping on uh, Harden until like that final play because he was doing a lot of falling, um, just like trying to draw charges and then arguing with the ref instead of focusing on his defensive like his defensive matchups, and that would lead to wide open threes. Um, you know, obviously got to shout out the rookie. His playoffs are for those type of moments, you know? Absolutely amazing. From Montreal, Canada, undrafted, you know? As if OKC doesn't need any more young talent. Just just sort of a reminder, he, they still have, like, what, four more first-round picks for the next few years? Like, they, they are... Got, they got more than four, for sure. Or more. <laughs> Their future more. is set. Because <laughs> they got that from the Russell Westbrook trade, too. Uh, and obviously the Paul George trade, and then their own picks as well. Like there, and they already have SGA too. Their future yeah. is wow. Like you, if you're a Thunder fan, you have you have nothing to worry about. You have nothing to be disappointed about. Like everything has been great, you know. Um, and a good hard fought series. Um, we could definitely talk about the matchup between the Rockets and the Lakers uh, and how they make matchups because I'm a little I'm a little worried for them. Uh, I think uh, AD is going to have their way, his way against that team, that small ball team. Um, and then Russell Westbrook, just in that game seven, he had some real, like, bad decision-making. Like, he really loves chucking up shots, doesn't he? Like, he loves throwing up bricks. There's a reason why late and just Rick. blowing layups. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, the, that series in general was just so up and down. I mean, yeah. if, if you look at it from the Thunder's perspective, I don't think they had much to lose. Like, they're just happy that they were there. And, you know, they have the draft picks. They have tradable assets. Like, Chris Paul is a tradable asset now because he, he's put everybody on notice that he can still lead a team to be successful. So, if they want to move Chris Paul, they can. If they want to keep him, they can keep him. Right. Uh, options are everywhere for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I think I also mentioned this in a Ball and Roll article, but it's definitely, like, a good time to be a Thunder fan because I believe they have, like – maybe like six to eight protected first round picks, like pick swaps in the, in the next decade. Some of them are coming from the Clippers. Some of them come from Miami. And then they got some from the Rockets too. But just in general, like they're, they're the Boston Celtics of the 2020. Like, Except even 2020s. better. Because yeah, they could potentially be even better. Like if they get lucky with some of these drafts and like, yeah. you know, pick like some good players or they have multiple picks in a draft that's stacked. Like, they could really load up and build a perennial contender. And they're already a playoff team right now. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, like, he had some up-and-down moments. But he'll only learn from this. And he'll get better with, with like, some more time. We obviously mentioned Lou Dort. Like, I think I saw a post today. He was, like, he's, like, the 2K story that happened in real life like undrafted and then he's in the g league and then he's starting on his team and then he goes for 30 in game seven like that's that's just like so poetic and man i was i was so cheesed because a quick lou dort story i was watching the draft last year and I, i don't know why but i just watched through the second round for whatever reason like i never do that i just watch like the first 14 picks or sometimes i watch the first round and then that's it but i watched the draft in its entirety and then I was just, like, looking up Lou Dort and, like, his highlights and stuff. I'm like, holy shit, I hope the Raptors get him with a second rounder. Then they pick, like, Dewan Hernandez, then he goes undrafted. I'm like, oh, well, the Raptors could still sign him. And then they sign Terrence Davis, who, who – Terrence, Terrence Davis is a good player. He's yeah. probably better than Lou Dort right now. But just saying, like, man, I wish the Raptors got Lou Dort because he's, like, low-key. You can't like, get everyone. <laughs> yeah. He's making everybody regret it because he was undrafted. And right. Yeah. Man, like the way he locked up Harden this series, like Harden obviously went off still, but he made it uncomfortable for him. And if he gets a three-point shot, he's going to be a really good player for a long time. Look like a rookie either. Like he, the confidence that he has, like you, people don't understand like how intimidating, like, like, and how much a game can be affected between um, regular season and a playoff game. And I know that, like, it wasn't necessarily the true playoff setting because the crowd wasn't there and that type of stuff. But, like, pressure is so important. Like, the, the, the magnitude of confidence that you have to have, I think that was, like, the struggle that the Raptors had for, like, a while before they finally overcome that last year. Yeah. Where, like, 
the players just did not have the same confidence um, in the, in the, from the regular season to the playoffs. And the fact that a rookie like him can have the confidence to take those shots, yeah, like that just speaks to a lot, speaks a lot to his future in the NBA. Like he's going to be a big time player for sure. People, people underestimate how it's how not risky, but how much confidence it takes to keep shooting when you're missing. Like there's mm-hmm. some games in this series where he was like oh for seven and he's still chucking him up. Like it's right. demoralizing to have so many open looks and keep breaking them. I'll I'll admit it. When I'm on the basketball court and they show me those looks and I pop it, I'm just like fuck. I'm gonna miss and and then I miss and then I'm like hesitant to shoot, which that's like a trait obviously that you see in the star players like Kobe, guys like Jordan, like even like you know LeBron's had his uh, criticisms in the past, but now like he's just gonna shoot it no matter what. And that's ultimately what makes, like, star players in the league when you're not shying away from the moment. The magnitude of the moment doesn't matter because you're just worried about winning and contributing to your team. And that's the type of player I see in Lou Dort anyway. So big hopes for his career. Absolutely. And speaking of the big moments, I think that it's right to transition to the Denver Nuggets and Utah Jazz. Mm. We talk about superstars. Wow, that was an amazing series to watch. Um, I guess I'll start off with you. What did you think between the matchup? Obviously, the big matchup between Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray. So early on in the series, I was kind of surprised that the Nuggets weren't being as dominant as they were in the regular season anyway. And that was largely due to the fact that the Nuggets couldn't defend the pick and roll at all. They couldn't contain the Murray pick and roll with uh, Gobert or Ingles even. They even were using angles in the screen and roll and they just couldn't defend it for whatever reason. And that's largely due to the fact that they didn't use their best defenders in that series in the start. Anyway, they were playing uh, Michael Porter jr. Who we have high hopes for, but he's not the greatest defender right now. So uh, yeah. you, you saw the jazz really running that screen and roll to the ground with all of those plays. And that's why Mitchell was like popping off for like 50 points in like the first like couple of games. And then, you know, all of a sudden, Jamal Murray starts popping off, too, for, like, 50 points. Like, this is the magnitude of, like, how good those guys played. Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell joined Allen Iverson and Michael Jordan as the only players in NBA playoff history to have multiple 50-point games in one series. And, you know, that also is due to the fact that there was a lack of defense. But you still got to give credit to where where it's due. Because this is the playoffs. This is where your name is made as an NBA player. This is where you can write your legacy. And when you got guys like Mitchell and Murray making their moments in this series, especially at a young age too, you just got to be excited for their futures. And I think the series, like the reason why the Nuggets won this series is mainly because they made some defensive adjustments, playing Grant a little bit more than then um, Michael Porter Jr. really helped out their pick-and-roll defense. And the return of Gary Harris was really clutch for the Nuggets in containing their guards because he made it a little more difficult for guys like Clarkson and guys like Mitchell to go off. You can see, like, Mitchell didn't really have a great game in the last game. And, man, like, the way this series ended, though, like, that shot by Conley, that was that was so close to going in. I know. It was like right there. And then it's a little bit in and then it pops out a little strong. So, man, the Nuggets are lucky that that shot missed because the play before they had an open layup and they missed it. That would have been yeah. so heartbreaking for the Nuggets. Like if they missed that shot and then lost on a three point shot for the series, like that would be crazy. But, you know, it's a move point regardless because the Nuggets are moving on. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on this series? You know, I think like that exemplifies what's so great about the NBA. I just love seeing like two young stars, um, Donovan Mitchell. I mean, we all know what type of player he's been from the moment he, he stepped into uh, the, the NBA courts. You know, he's been always like been a highlight for the Utah Jazz. Um, people forget like, Donovan Mitchell could have been a Denver Nuggets. Yeah. But he was part of that Trey Lyles trade. 
so that was interesting to see. Uh, and also wondered where, like, think about it. Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell probably would have been teammates. Like, would have been that sick. Would have, whew, yeah, that would have been nice. But uh, he's leading this Utah team with glass and pieces. Um, and then with Jamal Murray, I've always felt like people underrated Jamal Murray. I'm a big fan of Jamal Murray uh, since his play with Team Canada. Um, I remember watching him uh, with uh, FIBA in, uh, I believe, Mexico. And he yeah. was just, like, lighting it up. Um, and I know Canada eventually lost. But it was just a bright moment. Like, wow, this young kid is amazing. Um, and he's now really gotten a chance to show the NBA, like, yeah, I'm a star too, you know? Like, people obviously – People talk about how it's Jokic's team, and people question, oh, where's that second option on that Denver Nuggets team? Well, it's clearly ja- Jamal Murray. Like, he's going to be that scoring guy. He's that important piece. Um, and he really showcased, like, I did not expect, like, the points he scored, like, the, the scoring output that he implemented, but um, I'm very proud of both. Uh, it kind of sucks with a series like that. The, the thought is, like, you know there's going to have to be a loser. Yeah. Because, um, like Donovan Mitchell, it just doesn't sit right that he's he got eliminated in the first round. But yeah. and I'm sure it really stings for that team in general because I think Utah always is a team that like has been bounced out early throughout the years and they have high expectations as for you know, of course. And just it's just a big being a victim of the tough Western conference. You know, they face the Denver Nuggets as their lower seed. Um but wow, entertaining series. I think people actually underrated the series as well going into it because people thought, you know, it would just be kind of like boring, whatever. But this was probably the most entertaining series uh, um, other than, well, no, actually, it's only because, I, like, I would put the Dallas and Clippers uh, matchup up there, but, like, it only got, it was a shorter series. Well, yeah. my, meanwhile, this is seven games. But uh, good series. Uh, Denver's actually playing the Clippers right now uh, yep. as we speak. And, um, yeah. Good series. And the thing with this series, too, is like like you were saying, it, it was kind of sucks that a team had to lose because they were playing such good basketball against each other, producing entertaining games. Like when I think of some of the greatest first-round series I've watched, um, the Clippers and uh, Mavericks series is definitely up there for me because of Luka's shot and just the way he played in his first postseason as, as a 21-year-old. And the other series that I think of right off the bat is that Boston Celtics versus Chicago Bulls series. Derrick Rose's first series in the playoffs as a, as I think a third year player um, or second year player, something like that. But it was his first yeah. postseason, and that series also went to seven games, I believe. So you you just got like great basketball going on right now, and. I guess we can like sort of segue into some of the second round matchups going on. Like we obviously talked about the Raptors and Celtics already. Um, the Bucks are down 0-2. And I can't say that I didn't see this coming because I predicted this from the outset that Miami would give them some trouble. Um, I believe when we did our unreleased um, NBA bracket challenge, I picked the Bucks, not the Bucks. I sorry, I picked the Miami Heat to win in six. Bold take at the time, but look at them now; they're up two nothing. So, um, I guess we'll start out with uh, your your sort of take on the series. Uh, obviously, some bad, some sort of questionable. I'm not going to say bad because I'm not a referee and I don't know all the rules. But some questionable officiating in the game two victory for Miami, and obviously game one. It was like sort of a classic Miami Heat victory. What do you think's been just the Bucks' problem in this series? Like their biggest problem? Before we talk, we analyze the series. I do. Let's talk about the big elephant in the room. I want to talk about that final call. What did you think? Did that? Did Jimmy Butler deserve those free throws to win the game? You know, see the thing is, is that on these type of plays where it's like last second shot yeah. refs never call anything like ever. Right. That's one thing. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's what was so perplexing about this play is that like when I can think of some moments, um, pivotal playoff moments, uh, let's say game seven, 2014, first round Raptors nets, Lowry takes it up to the court, takes it up to the paint, goes up for a shot, gets blocked. I thought there was a foul there, but again, I'm a Raptors fan, but 
they're not going to call a foul on that play because you generally, as a ref, you want the players to decide the outcome of the game, not the refs. And I watched the uh, b-ball breakdown that came out today with um, Coach Nick and uh, I believe his name is Robbie Nunn or something like that, but he was a former referee for the NBA. And he was basically saying how um, he doesn't understand the call on the second one the first play where Drogic um, fouled on Middleton, he said that was a good call, but the one on Butler probably should have uh, not been called. But, I mean, regardless of the call, I think the team that was supposed to win this game still won, which was the Heat. But regardless, it's not a good look for the league when you got referees making calls like this and essentially deciding the outcome of the game. And it, it kind of sucks for the Bucks fans anyway, but yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, what what did you think? I mean, uh, I think everybody sort of has the same opinion, but maybe yeah. you have something different. No, it's it's anticlimactic. Um, just take it to overtime and let's just play some more ball. Like, let the real team win. Like, having it end by free throws. Like, I know this is not the same. Like, the circumstances are completely different because it's just an all star game. But I just think about this past all star game that like. Anthony Davis won the All-Star game for three throws after such exciting basketball. It just didn't feel right at the end. Um, obviously, this is a way bigger um, game in that sense. But um, in terms of the series, going back to the original question, the big X factor is Jimmy Butler. Mm-hmm. Man, that guy is an animal. And let me tell you something. Like we, You can directly see the impact just based off playoff results. We look at the 76ers. Last year, someone could argue they could have made it to the NBA Finals. Oh, this, definitely. Absolutely. This year, they get up. I don't care. Like, we'll get it. Ben Simmons wasn't playing still. Like, Jimmy Butler would have given them a chance, a fighting chance, at least a respectable chance. Him, you know, I remember when Jimmy Butler said that he was going to Miami back in the offseason. And, you know, people were talking. Like, I was surprised. I thought he would probably join the Clippers. Uh, to join Kawhi, um, yeah. or if not, if not the Lakers, something LA. I heard Miami. I thought about it at first. I was like, "Ooh, I guess maybe they're waiting for like someone like Giannis for next season, which they could still do." Um, but I didn't expect them to be the good team that they were this year. And of course, part of that is due to the elevation of players like Bam Adebayo, um, and then the young guys, Tyler Hero, um, Duncan Robinson. You know, but. Man, Jimmy Butler is clearly the leader. He he's one of the most hardworking players in the league. Like the way he plays, like it's just so amazing to watch both ends off of the floor. Um, I'm a big fan of him, and you know, for that, like that's I guess that's why like the Heat is like a very scary team to me. Yeah. Um, I did actually pick the Bucks to win, but I'm pretty sure I, I made it close to I think even seven. Yeah. But wow. Jimmy Butler has clearly been like the leader for that team, and uh, the the Milwaukee Bucks need to do their best to like try to neutralize him. And then Giannis needs to elevate his game. Chris Middleton needs to be that consistent secondary scorer. Like you are an All Star, right? You were named an All Star two years in a row. Uh, you need to show that. You need to showcase that. Um, Eric Bledsoe needs to, you know. Yeah, Bledsoe was like the main reason why they lost that second game. Exactly. <laughs> and he absolutely, just, he just doesn't have a good like playoff resume right now. I mean, even when you look back to last year's playoffs versus the Raptors, he didn't have a good showing. Drogic has completely torched absolutely. the Bucks. Absolutely. Like this guy, Drogic, like he came off the bench this year. I I didn't even yeah. like remember. I forgot he existed. Honestly. Because yeah. Nunn has been playing so good this whole year, and Jarvis has just been, like, you know, kind of low key. But when the playoff is around, and you and I know this very well from their Miami Raptors series in yep. 2016, Dragic is yeah. a killer on the court, man. Like, yeah. he he has so many like crafty moves. He's he's just like a savvy vet that you'd want on a playoff team, and he can drop like 25 right any given night, and he can do like, it in. Yep. Like, easiest ways like you know he's got a bunch of like shifty moves and he's a lefty too so he, he can be harder to guard for some players 
I think in general, he, he and Butler are definitely like the biggest factors in the series. Um, going into it, I thought that Bam would be one of the bigger factors, and he still is. But, you know, Giannis went off last game, but they still lost. So the fact that the Heat can pull out a victory like that, they're just honestly going to this classic game plan that the Raptors did, which is like, you know, wall off the paint, make it difficult for Giannis, but also, you know, limit the supporting cast. If you limit guys like Middleton, as like DiVincenzo, George Hill, Corver, Rook Lopez, you know, the Bucks aren't that, you know, good, good team, like in terms of their record as it shows, like, I think the Bucks they play really well because they got a guy like Giannis. He's, he's the magnet and then everybody can get open shots. But when you limit those other guys, Giannis is by himself. So, I mean, and another thing too is a funny comparison that I saw on Instagram was there someone compared the 2010 Cleveland Cavaliers, 2010 Cleveland Cavaliers. They won 66 games to this Bucks team. That was a, I believe LeBron's second or third MVP year. And they got bounced, I believe in the Eastern conference finals by the Orlando magic. So right. I found that as a pretty interesting comparison and I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if Miami sweeped this series. Because right now, the Ooh. same way the same way that the Raptors had no answer for the Celtics in the first two games, the Bucks like they're in close games, but I don't know if they have any answers for the Heat. Like they're so multi-dimensional in terms of their offense. Like guys like Duncan Robinson, you know Tyler Hero, anybody can pop off on any given night, and it's different from the Raptors because these guys on the heat, like, you know, Tyler hero can create his own shot. Dragic can create his own shot. Kendrick Nunn can somewhat do that too. Then you got Jimmy Butler and bam, you know, they still got guys like um, Kelly Olynyk, the Canadian. And, you know, they're just, they're just a stacked team. And, you know, I think the biggest factor for the bucks, if they want to get back in this series, Eric Bledsoe needs to play better. He needs to lock up Dragic, like, that's the first thing they need to do because if Drogic is consistently making these like mid range shots, these three point shots, it's going to open up everything for the Miami heat. If they can lock that down, then they just got to worry about Jimmy and bam and you know, the shooters, which is still a lot, but the bucks can do it. It's just, will Budenholzer make the adjustment? Like this has been the biggest knock on his like coaching career is in his entire coaching career. He's been overrated coach. Yeah, an overrated coach because he's had a lot of really good regular seasons, but in the playoffs, he's always flamed out due to a lack of adjustments. And, you know, playing teams like, you know, LeBron's Cavs and right. the Raptors, the defending champion Raptors. But I don't know, man. I, I don't see them turning it around. And I'm honestly hoping that the Bucks lose this series because, you know, then the free agency gets a little interesting, which we can talk about on another time. But – I don't know, man. I don't. I don't see it for the Bucks right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also wanted to say though, um, if you switch out Brogdon for Bledsoe, do you think that's a different series? Oh, for sure. Malcolm Brogdon's like. I think he's a way better player than Bledsoe. The fact that they chose to yeah. extend Bledsoe over. Um, Brogdon granted the contracts were like a little bit different in terms of like years and alignment but the fact that they extended Bledsoe extended Lopez which Brooke Lopez turned out to be a good extension because he's he's not as good as a shooter as he was in the previous season but he's integral to the Bucks defense which has been historically great so I'll give them that the the Lopez extension was good but the fact that they have Bledsoe right now over Brogdon it just shows completely because Brogdon, especially with a guy like Giannis and Middleton, he's such a hyper-efficient creator in terms of his shot. You know, he can take it off the dribble. He's big enough to take it to the paint. And he's also such a knockdown shooter in offense like the Bucks. You can see in his production in Indiana, it kind of dipped because, you know, the quality of his players around him, you know, dipped as well. But when you got a guy like Brogdon on a good team, he's like the perfect player you want there. And I just think it shows when you're playing against good guard play like Dragic, 
and Kendrick Nunn hasn't even really done anything yet in this series. And Tyler Hero's popping off. Duncan Robinson, he's had like, you know, I think he had a pretty good first game. But, yeah, man, Bledsoe, you got to turn it around, man. You, you just got to find a way or, or else Giannis is leaving your ass. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so um, we're going to get this one wrapped up a little bit sooner. Uh, we're just going to talk about the – let's talk about this uh, Lakers and Rockets series really quick. Um, so there are, like, two ways I see people talking about this series. I see people saying how it can go to seven games because the Rockets, they can pop off whenever they want. You know, they can blow out teams for like 20, 30 points when they're hitting all the shots. And then I hear other people saying that Lakers are going to win in five because the Rockets are too inconsistent. So, I mean, there's not like two set stone, set in stone ways to look at this series, but like, what were your observations? Like, you mentioned Anthony Davis having a chance to, like, really pop off in this series. So, here's the way I, I look at it. I, so, they're, they're actually, their advantages actually, like, cancel out each other. And here's, like, here's how I explain it. So, I mentioned Anthony Davis and how he can really dominate against this small ball lineup, right? But if you look at on the other side of things, you know, Who's who on the Lakers can guard James Harden? Like hmm. LeBron, like as much as I respect and love LeBron, he's not the defender that he like. He never was the greatest defender, regardless. But at his age, he's definitely not going to put all of his effort on the defensive end consistently. Right? He's gonna have his moments. I believe him, but uh, consistently, no. Um, and then our, the, the Lakers' weakness is definitely the guard position. You know. There's no one, like, that can – and especially without Avery Bradley, you know. Mm -hmm. But the thing is consistency. Who am I banking on being a better playoff performer? And although Harden has more playoff experience, Goldberg stuff, um, I'm trusting Anthony Davis more because I know that LeBron James is going to elevate his game. Um, and LeBron James – if we put Davis, like, um, and there was actually controversy today. Uh, if you saw LeBron James' tweet about how he responded to Jay Williams' tweet about how, um, you know, LeBron is like the Pippin. Just like LeBron was the Pippin to D-Wade. That was kind of disrespectful. But that's another big thing in itself. But in this situation, like, we can kind of see that, like, LeBron has taken a bit of a backside to Anthony Davis. So yeah. if we put Anthony Davis as the one star of this team and – we put James Harden as the number one uh, star for their team. Um, I'm trusting Anthony Davis more um, in the playoffs. Um, and then LeBron versus Russell Westbrook. I'm tr easily trusting LeBron James. So because of how the NBA is definitely a matchup-based game, um, it should be Lakers easy. It should be Lakers easy. Um, the inconsistencies of um, the Rockets, but not only that, the decision-making of a guy like Russell Westbrook, like he really baffles me when I watch him play. Like mm -hmm. he has the explosive talent. He it can go end-to-end. -end. He can – he's one of the most athletic dunkers, exciting dunkers. Like um, he's the closest thing to like the prime D-Rose, for example, right? Like he's yeah. that athletic, like, you know, exciting, flashy player. So, man, his decision-making, his efficiency, his like um, – the amount of layoffs I've seen him miss, um, the amount of terrible, terrible three-point shots, where I, like, as an objective neutral fan, would be like, why would you take that shot, you know? <laughs> um, and in some ways, I do think that, like, uh, he does have some chemistry with James Harden because he plays that, like, kind of guy who can, like, cut when James Harden is, like um, – trying to find that man to uh, pass because everyone else is a three-point shooter. Like, he's the guy to, um, you know, pass the alley down to. But overall, that team is still, in my view, a bit of a mess. And um, for the Lakers, even though they have some issues themselves, don't get that twisted. You know, I think the Lakers will easily win. Um, and, uh, yeah, what do you think? 
Well, the way I see this series is I'm sort of basing it off of the Rockets' performance in the first round. Um, when you mention inconsistency, the Rockets are just like the poster childs for inconsistency. Like when they're on, they're on. And they're they're dangerous team when they're on because their they're small ball experiment for the most part, it hasn't been exposed on the defensive end because, I mean, when you're a team like OKC and you want to get into the paint, it's hard because you've got guys like Rocco, P.J. Tucker, and, you know, all their, all their defenders are just so pesky on, on that end. And they're able to wall off the paint. And, I mean, a paint advantage isn't really a paint advantage when you can't get to the paint. And that's what the Rockets do. They also play off of players that can't really shoot. So that's why Lou Dort had all those open shots in that, in that series. But the fact that that series versus OKC went to seven games is because they had a bunch of games where they weren't shooting it well. And when they're not shooting it well, they're not going to win. That, that's just plain and simple with them. They're going to live and die by the three. So just on that fact alone, I'm not comfortable picking the Rockets to win this series. And I'm not even comfortable to say that they can win two games in this series just based off that fact. Because when they're playing a team like the Lakers, and granted, the Lakers have had their own problems like that we've talked about before, but at the end of the day, they got LeBron, they got AD. And LeBron and AD are better than James Harden and Westbrook. So it's probably going to come down to that. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Lakers bumped them out in five or six. I'll say five because I, I didn't really give the Rockets a chance to win two games. So, I mean, yeah, I, I just think the Lakers are just going to overwhelm them due to the Rockets' inconsistencies on the offensive end. And, you know, that big factor, too, of not having a guy that can match up with AD properly. We'll see how their defensive scheme sort of matches up against AD, but Anthony Davis has been one of the most efficient playoff performers and just one of the most efficient players ever. Like, I believe he has, like, the highest PER right now or something like that, like career PER, which is, like, player efficiency rating if you're yeah. really into stats. That just goes to show how, like, efficient of a player he is all around. So it's going to be tough for the Rockets to match up against a guy like that. And, I mean, other than that, we can briefly mention the Clippers and Nuggets series too. The – the game's going on right now. It's at halftime, and I believe the Clippers are up. Yep, they're up by 18 in the after the first half, 69-51. Uh, real quick, do you see the series going the distance? Like, do you see the Nuggets having a chance to give them the sort of the Clippers the same sort of problems that the Mavericks gave the them in their first round matchup? Well, depends on the play of Paul George. Uh, mm. Pandemic P. Yeah. <laughs> Pedestrian um, P. I think it's hard to doubt Kawhi. Yeah. You know, he's, I mean, good. He's a great teammate. And um, despite all the struggles that Paul George is having, you know, Kawhi clearly had his back and probably instilled some belief. Um, in him, and that's why he was able to perform a bit better later in the later parts of that series. Um, though, keep in mind, it was against a team that did not have four strangers, and they're you know, so that needs to be noted. Um, Denver is going to be a tougher matchup than uh, a Luka Doncic exclusively uh, Dallas Mavericks. So I think the big thing is Jokic is mm. definitely better than Zubak. Uh, he, but that means he has to play like that. Like he has to play like that. Um, Jamal Murray, like, is he going to play the same way that he played last series? I'm not 100% no. sure on that, you know. Especially no. since they're probably going to play. Yeah. yeah. It's a hard <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, especially against this team. Um, I don't know if Patrick Beverly's back yet, but he's going to also be a person who, as much as I hate him, he's going to have an impact on the play of the cards. Um, I do like the depth of the Denver Nuggets, um, but yeah, the Clippers are probably going to be serious. 
Yeah, I, I probably see this one ending in five or six just because Kawhi in general, like, he, he will not be denied, at least until the Western Conference Finals. Like, we won't yeah. know, but he's not going to get denied by any of these, like, clowns, honestly. Like, not, not to clown anybody that, that's right. in the NBA because, granted, these are, like, the best basketball players in the world, but on, they're not on Kawhi's level, I should say that. And, man, like, when Kawhi wants to win it, you, you can tell. He's just going to pull up from mid. It doesn't matter if, if you're in his way. It doesn't matter if you send two guys his way. He's going to find a way to make a play. It, you, you cannot deny Kawhi Leonard. And honestly, like, let's look at it this way. Kawhi is Michael Jordan, and then these guys, like, in, in the series, like the Nuggets, they're just like the Cavs, you know. Like, they got, like, the Craig Elos and the Mark Prices, like, good players. But they're not on the same level. And I just think in general, you know, Kawhi is just getting too overwhelming for them. Let's just sit, leave it at that. I mean, regardless if pandemic P or playoff P, whatever you want to call them, regardless of whoever shows up, it doesn't matter because Kawhi is going to carry them if he has to, which yeah. I'm sure Kawhi didn't team up with Paul George with the sort of uh, – intent to carry the team like he did with the Raptors you know he went to the Clippers because he wanted a guy like Paul George to carry the load when you know he, he doesn't want to but it doesn't seem like Paul George is that guy let's just say that I mean he he had good playoff performances before but yeah. as of recent you know he, he just hasn't performed when it matters most so Pandemic P, Paul George, whatever you want to call him, you know, regardless if he shows up or not, Clippers taking this one and five, in my opinion. I'll give it. I'll I'll take it a six. Clippers a six. Yeah. So uh, we're gonna wrap up this episode of the NBA's most valuable podcast. All I can say is I'm so hyped that the Raptors are back because yeah. honestly, I've been so down these last couple of days. Like hitting the gym is like you know it's a motivational thing like when you when you hit the gym you're like yeah i'm here i'm here to better yeah. myself but when i sit there and then i just like look at the tvs and they're showing rappers highlights or something like that i was like man what can the rappers do so it's going to be interesting to see what they do in the coming days but regardless i'm just happy that the raptors are scrapping in the series they're they're back in it they're fighting and hey man OJ Ananobi has did he make the best shot in Raptors history? Only time will tell. You know, only time will tell. History, yeah. If it repeats itself with a with a title, then maybe OG does hit the biggest shot in Raptor history. But with that, we're gonna close out this episode of the NBA's most valuable podcast. Thank you for listening. We're out. Peace.